You see on the screen this idea of the spiritual Olympics, specifically what the Apostle Paul has to say in the book of Hebrews, because I'm convinced, as I know all of you are, that Paul is indeed the author of this amazingly anonymous book of Scripture that has so much meaning. But we're looking at the chapter immediately following what we know as the Heroes of Faith or the Hall of Faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews. We get to chapter 12, and it's almost like Paul is, he's laid out in chapter 11 this plethora of people who have surrendered to God and who have struggled with their faith and come out victorious. And, and Hebrews chapter 12 is almost like Paul saying to us, because I know when I read Hebrews chapter 11, it's like, man, that's what I want to be like. I don't care if my name is written in a book. I want my life to matter. I want my life to mean something. I want my life to end well. I want my life to have a legacy. And Paul says, cool. Hebrews chapter 12 is just for you. Let's read the first four verses of that book together this morning from Hebrews chapter four, verses one through four. And I hope that you have something in front of you to read it from or if you need to on the screen. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Father in heaven, I ask you this morning for a vision for the race that you have called us to. A passion, Father, for the journey, a hunger to do it right, a desire welling up in us that it would be our highest goal is to do the things that Paul wrote about in this passage, to be the kind of Christian that is realizing this is serious stuff and we're going to do serious things to make sure we're on the right path. I thank you, Lord, for the word this morning and how it can change us. how your spirit moves upon us and moves within us and leads us out, Lord, into a dark world that needs the light of the gospel. May that gospel be found to be growing truer and more real in each of us. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you exercise on a regular basis? Uh, some of you want to raise your hands high. Some of you are like, I should be, but I'm not. Don't point to the person next to you that they should be working out and they're not. But a lot of people um, exercise and work out, and we've been hitting the Y more frequently lately. I remember in Ohio when we went a lot when the kids were little because they had a play area and we could kind of put them in there and then go do our own thing and walk or exercise together. Um, we would see several of the people on the big track upstairs, and they would get these Velcro bands of weights, and they'd they'd wrap them around their legs. Some people would have them wrapped around their wrists, and some people did both, and then they had this belt around their middle, and those were the serious ones. 
If you had weights strapped around all over your body, then you, you knew what you were doing. Or you were spending a lot of money to look like you knew what you were doing. I'm not sure which it might have been. But people do that. And it helps them apparently burn more calories and get stronger faster. Remember in PE, we'd get those big heavy medicine balls, you know, that weighed like 25 pounds, and you're expecting the basketball until the first time it hits you. And then you throw that thing around, and then you go to play basketball, and that thing just weighs as light as a feather. My cousin was on a swim team in high school, and I'm so glad I wasn't on the swim team because I would have dropped out after what he told me. But he said, our coach told us to shave our legs and wear pantyhose when we practiced. And I am only going from what he told me. I have no personal knowledge of this. But my cousin told me from his own experience that it made their, way, their legs feel heavy. And then they would go into their meat after practicing and they had more velocity in their kicks because they had laid off the weights that they were used to training with. And they were expected to swim a certain time with the weights on. And they made that their goal. And then when the weights fell off, they were even faster than before. I know some of you are baseball fans. And if you watch the batters in the batter's box, they put that ring over the end of their bat and they take their practices. I, I never know, this is my serious research this week for the sermon was, what is that ring called that they put over their bat? I come to find out it's, it's called a donut and you can't even eat it. But now you know. Now you know what that ring was over their bat. And they do that, it weighs a pound, maybe two pounds, the heaviest of them weigh closer to three and they'll get up in the batter's box right before it's their turn to hit, and they'll just take a few hard swings with that donut over their bat, and then they get up to the plate, and they at least feel like they'll have more velocity because they'll be swinging something so much lighter. And this idea of laying off the weights is what Paul was talking about in this passage. The goal for the Christian is to lighten their load, not make it heavier and harder and more difficult as we move down the road. What Paul is saying today as we move along is that we, are, we have weights that are a part of our life that we're allowing to be upon us that may drag us down. Now you see the picture up here on the screen of this football player, and he's got a weight dragging him down, doesn't he? Uh, I read along with this article that he'd already dragged, if I do my math right, about the four-yard line, already dragged that player 11 yards to get to this point. And the play ends with him scoring a touchdown and the guy dragging him face down in the grass. And I think in some respects, that may have been what Paul was thinking about in the spiritual sense for us, that it seems like Satan knows our goal. He knows where we're trying to end up at and he's gonna do whatever it takes to drag us down before we get there. But Paul says, I want you to think about the thousands of Christians who've gone on before you, this great cloud of witnesses who have been through so much and faced so much adversity. And in light of what they went through, he says, I want you to lay aside these weights and all the sins that so easily entangle you. I was thinking about something, you know, watching the batters in the batting box. I'm grateful I didn't have to watch my cousin swim in pantyhose. But in a lot of sporting events, there's a great crowd watching. We think in Paul's context of the cloud of witnesses, we're watching them. But think about the crowds that are watching us. Every move that we make. 
I think with the growing impact of soccer in our world, there are more people watching sporting events than ever before. There's more people watching you and I than ever before, especially if you're on social media. How many of you are on social media? I already know because I can see you, but um, most of you are on there. Some of you are, don't want to raise your hand, but you're already out there, and we know about it, uh, whether you know we know or not. But I just want to take a sidestep for a minute. I, as I was writing this, I just felt the Lord saying, get on your soapbox off topic for just a minute. Can you please be careful what you post on social media? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all the other things that I don't even know are out there now. I wish I could teach a course in the church on social media etiquette because there are just some things that are going on out there that, that really discourage me. And I'll use myself as an example of something that you think is harmless. Maybe you intended not to be harmless. But when I was in seminary, um, you know, you're up at till 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning writing those just thrilling seminary papers. And I'd get bored, and so my way of fighting the boredom was to get on Facebook. And I'd cruise on over there and see what was going on for a while and pretend that that helped wake me up. Sometimes I'd see something that got me riled up. Sometimes I'd get so bored I'd fall asleep on the computer. But one night I decided to make my own excitement, just for fun with not an ounce of seriousness. I, and I was pastor of a different church. I put up there, Pastor Pete is, is going to get a tattoo. What should I have? What should it say? Now, this was as in, I was, I was trying to stay awake, okay? This is the only reason I did this. I had a paper that was due, and I was trying to stay awake. <clears throat> Within an hour, uh, I had a professor from college saying things like, I thought you were a Christian. And he was serious. Don't throw your faith away over something on your arm. I had someone else, a new attender of our church, she got on there and basically said, man, I have the coolest, hippest, raddest pastor in the whole world who's gonna get a tattoo, and I was misleading. I had family members just shocked that I would even consider this. My wife said, you, you, you see a needle a mile away and you're running as fast as you can get. There's, you know, everything under the sun. Can I just implore you? Before you go to type something where others can see, delete it and start over, or don't even share it at all. There's a crowd of people watching you, seeing so much of what we do and how we do it. It's almost like the Olympics where the whole world is watching, literally. Every word that we speak in our culture is being filtered. It's being archived probably in too many places and ways. So be careful what we say and how we say it. But Paul wasn't talking about social media in Hebrews chapter 12. He was talking about us, talking about our lives, talking about the direction that we're supposed to have in this crowd of witnesses that has gone before us that are here to cheer us on through their stories and their testimonies about the race that we are in. And I just want to ask you real loud and clear this morning, do you know that every single one of us in this room is in the middle of a race? You're thinking, Pastor, I'm a whole lot nearer the end than I ever thought I'd be before. You are still in the race. 
Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm even on the right course. I think I may have gotten off track. You are still in the race. I don't know if I'm running towards the finish line or if I'm running in reverse. You are still in the race. And Paul says in this passage that we are to run this race. He used the word several times. He used the word endurance. 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 I ran not in a sport, but in in school, I love to run. And uh, I, I tried at first to be one of the sprinters. I thought that I could just run faster than anyone else for a short period of time. And I came to realize that I actually was pretty slow when I, when I ran short distances, but I had good endurance. And so I could run the longer races. In fact, in three years in a row in my, in my school, I ran the fastest mile of anyone in the school. And then the fourth year, Luke, the left-hander, beat me by two seconds, and it ruined my life. Um, but some of us are built for the long run. Some of us are just naturally, by our personality, more laid back, um, more analytical, more able just to process things, and some of us are the sprinters. And when things are going right, the world is amazing. And when things are going wrong, the world is falling apart. And Paul is saying this is a long, hard, difficult, stressful journey And we need to be in it for the long haul. And to do that, you and I have to learn and establish this idea, these principles of endurance. So just a quick reminder of that first verse. We are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin, which clings... Let me me read that again so it sounds better. Lay Lay aside every weight and every sin, because that's what he means, which so clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want to share three things that endurance requires of us, three things that endurance means to you and I, and then we will go back to continue running our race after the time that we share together. The first thing that I want to talk about this morning is the idea that endurance requires selflessness. Endurance requires selflessness. I can remember when I was training for that mile run in school, how many of the kids would go to lunch and get the biggest dish of ice cream that they could get. They would go home and they'd play on their video games as often as they could. And they did everything they could that would please themselves and make them happy. And the only thing that I cared about during that time of training was was being lean and mean. And now I just worry about being mean. Um, But during the time of training, an athlete focuses on one thing and one thing only, and that is the training that is necessary to win. Whatever it takes to come out on top. And Paul says that you and I are to be living that way, spiritually speaking. And then he explains how we're to do this. And he says, by laying aside the things that slow you down. Specifically, the sin that entangles you. What it means is it easily entangles you, and it clings to you. Almost like that player that we saw that was being dragged down by the guy behind him. We're doing all that we can and going as fast as we're able to, 
and it holds on and it slows us down. And the devil knows how to do that. Each and every one of us, the devil knows what button to push on our life, on our heart. I can't imagine being on one of those marathon runs. And if I was one of the runners getting up there at the starting block with my bag here, and I pull out the the eight-pound weight strap, and I strap it around this ankle, and then I'm looking around, and and I strap it around this ankle. I'm like, now I'm good to go. I've created already a disadvantage to myself with the other runners because none of the other runners are going to purposely put on things, allow things that will slow them down. In fact, you watch the way they dress and the way they care for themselves. It's like my cousin on the swim team. They will try to find every advantage to take off weight, to take off anything that will keep their aerodynamic shape from being slow. They want it to be as fast as possible. But for some reason, as believers, we think that it's okay to live our spiritual lives with these, with these weights strapped around our hearts. These things in our life that are slowing us down and keeping us from God's best. And Paul says, if you want to run this race successfully, you've got to let those things go. Some of us carry bulging backpacks of bitterness. And you come to church and you set them down next to you because they're going to stay over there during the service because the church people are watching. It's invisible. No one else can see it but you and God. And the service ends and you strap it back on and you go back out into the world and it weighs you down. For other people, it's lust. They come to church and they lay it down and no one else knows it's there but them and God And they're good during the service and they walk out of the room and it comes rushing back. Anger, unforgiveness, it could go down the list of these things that Paul was talking about and he says that you gotta let go of them. You've gotta get rid of them. You've gotta lay them down in order to run the race that God has called you to race. No one would knowingly run a long distance race with weights strapped to their ankles or to their hands or to anything. Paul says you want to run this race with endurance. You want to be able to make it all the way? Then you've got to let some of these things go. You've got to allow God to clean these things out of your life. It's almost like God is the coach, and we're getting ready to run the race, and we've got straps around our ankles and straps around our wrists and straps around our waist, and the coach is saying, no, you can't go yet. You're not going to make it to the end until you get rid of those things. You forgot to take those off. And the Lord says to us, lay aside all of it, every weight, every burden, anything on your heart that will slow you down, anything the devil can grab onto by your coattail and try to drag you down. I was kind of shocked to read that the Olympic runners in early Roman times, ancient times, were so serious about this, they'd show up to a race in a long flowing robe And then when it got time to run the race, they took off the robe and there was nothing but the way God made you (laughs) because there was nothing going to slow you down. I'm not advocating that kind of aerodynamic function in our culture today, 
what I am saying is they were serious about taking away anything that would impede them from running this race the best that they could. And it needs to be a conversation that we allow the Holy Spirit to have in our own life. Are we serious about listening to God and the things in our life that slow us down, those temptations that drag us, those areas in our life that we allow to fester because we're not willing to let go of them? Paul says this is a long, hard journey, this life. And you and I can sit down and talk about the difficulties that we all face. It's hard enough with all those impediments that we allow to remain. And God says you want to run this race and have endurance, then you're going to have to let those things go. So endurance requires a selflessness to the idea of where we're going. And so we're just faced with the question, is it more about our own happiness or God's plan? Because when it comes down to temptation, it's a natural desire that God places, uh, that God has given us. The devil comes and tries to trick us into acquiring that in an incorrect manner or way or time. And if we want to be in victory, and running in God's direction, then we have to have the selflessness to say no to the enemy and say yes to God and his plan for our life. And in these moments, I know that the Lord is already speaking to our own heart. I think we already know the backpack that's sitting next to us, the little handbag that's there, all these things invisible, yet we know that they are there. The second thing that Endurance requires of us to finish the race is focus. Is focus. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, The just shall live by faith, by focusing on what matters. And so Paul said in this passage, he says, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. Endurance requires that we focus on what really matters, focus on what really counts in life, even if it can't be seen with the human eye. Oh, and that's the hard part, isn't it? Remember the children of Israel, as long as they had something they could see, they were fine. But when there was unseen, it drove them crazy. We got to get out our calculators. We got to get out our mathematics. We got to get out our equations and try to figure all this out. And Jesus says, I want you to fix your eyes on me. So lay aside our sin, lay aside the things that entangle us, and then the next thing is we do is we change our focus. We change our focus off of our past. We change our focus off of our problems. We change our focus off of our sin that has weighed us down because now we have a new direction to, to, to focus on, to think about. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Think about those people in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have a Bible, turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Jacob blessing his son. Abraham by faith, though he was past his age, 
had a child of miraculous birth. And down through the centuries, think of Noah. Oh, when there had been no rain and your entire culture casting you aside and making fun of you as the laughingstock of the nation. There's a kind of focus on doing God's will in those kinds of people that just cuts me in half. It cuts me in half to think of the sacrifice that they made, the focus that they had on the voice of God that nothing else would drown out once God had spoken. I know we all hear God speak. That's what he does. The problem is there are other things too, like fear. How many of you ever heard fear's voice? Every one of us. How about doubt? Did, did, did God really say that or was that the burrito I had for lunch? Doubt that that means that I'm going to have to do this a different way than what I'm normally used to doing. Is God really going to see me through if I step out on a limb for him? We've got to have a focus that is rock solid. Paul doesn't say fix your eyes on your questions. Paul doesn't say fix your eyes on the unknown. Paul says fix your eyes on the answer to the question. And the one thing that you do know is that God will be with you wherever you go in life. How many of you ever ran backwards? Come on, how many of you ever run backwards? Uh, We all do it the same way, ugly. (laughs) Crooked, strange. I've seen people hurt themselves running backwards. It's so bad because we have nothing to focus on. We have nothing, our bodies are not designed to do that on a long term I have never yet seen a race of people running backwards. And there's a reason, because someone would get hurt. God is designed for us to run forward, and as we do that, we have something that we focus on. And the races that I was in was always the finish line. Even if I couldn't see it right before me, the only thing that mattered to me was getting to the end of the race. And as a runner, you learn to condition yourselves that even if it hurts, even if it feels like you can't breathe, even if other people are in front of you, even if it's raining, even if it's hotter than blazes outside, the only thing that matters is the focus of getting to the end. I read a story of someone from Africa in Olympics years ago, and, and, and long since he um, got halfway through the race, the rest of the crowd had already finished. He was in last place, and then he got injured on top of it. And it was literally all he could do just to move his body. And an hour after everyone else had finished the race, he came crawling, or he came hobbling into the stadium to a shocked crowd who roared in amazement. And only by God's strength was he able to finish the race. And they asked him, Sir, why after all this pain did you not just give up? You, there was no reason for you any award, there was going to be no medal for you. And he said, you know, my country sent me here to finish this race. And there's nothing that's going to stop me from finishing it. I love that kind of resolve because we all have injuries. We all have things that come upon us in this life 
that could drag us down and keep us from finishing the race that God has called us to. But he sent us here for one reason, to finish the race that he set out before us. And there has to be a focus on God no matter what. So where are we fixing our eyes and attention? What voices are we listening to in this world that we live in? Are our eyes fixed on the prize that is set before us, Paul asks, or on the past that might drag us down? I, was, I love to watch football, and one of the things that I notice is that a guy runs fastest when he's looking ahead of him. And every time he turns around to see what's coming, it slows him down. And it's really hard for me to preach that because I do the same thing. I know life's coming. Paul says, fix your eyes where? On Jesus. Is that where our hearts are set this morning? On the God who sent his son to die so that we might finish this race for his glory. Third and lastly this morning, endurance implies suffering. Paul did it. Again, he put the two words that should never go together in the same sentence, in the same sentence, joy and suffering. Why does Paul do that? I wish he would write things differently, don't you? I do. I don't know why he has to go and put my favorite word with my least favorite word in the same sentence and imply that they have to be joined together. But friends, it's a fact of life. And he used Jesus as our example. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And do you know what that joy was? Your salvation and mine. The fact that by his grace, we would be able to fix our eyes upon him. It's almost like an oxymoron for us to think of joy and suffering together. But yet it says of Jesus that despising the shame, his ultimate goal was to finish the race. I added that little part of the end because it says, and that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And you and I live in a, a, a human body. And one of our greatest desires is to have all the money that we need. Our bodies be in perfect health all of the time. Does it sound good to you? Have the best job, have the best retirement, have family members that never get on our nerves. Well, I guess I know what my next sermon's gonna be about. <laughs> Wow, I got more reaction out of that than anything I've ever said. (laughs) There will be suffering in this life. And God's desire is not to drag us down. God's desire is to give us strength so that we can have joy in his deliverance and joy in his presence. Paul wrote earlier in Hebrews chapter 12 and in chapter 6, I'm sorry, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, 
a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Paul says we have this as an anchor for our soul, meaning Jesus, who did everything on our behalf so that we could have the peace that only God could bring. When that veil was torn at the Temple Mount, it meant that no longer would God's people be estranged from him in proximity, but that in God's miraculous, supernatural way, he would come to speak to our own hearts and live in our own life, and nothing can take him away from us if we believe in him. So one of the questions that you and I have to ask as believers is how much are we willing to endure? I can't tell you how many times I've heard as a pastor over the years, pastor, and this is an honest, okay thing to say, I just don't think I can take it anymore. Have you ever said that? We all have. That's where God wants you. Because that's when you lay aside the things that trouble you and you fix your eyes on him like you've never fixed them before. And you realize that this current moment is not to be compared to the joy that will be given to you in heaven as Paul wrote elsewhere in Scripture. Because Paul says that someday, like Jesus, we'll sit down at the hand of God. I'm going to go to the next slide on the screen. You've already seen this once, but I just want to close quickly with three questions for each of us to ask ourselves. First question on the screen is, what's slowing you down? Now, this is going back to this idea of the sin that so easily ensnares us. I want to share a story from my family, and Levi's not here. Levi's had some temptations come into his life the last few weeks that have been really troubling to him. And this little man has taught me so much about endurance and about being strong. He'll come to me in the middle of the night or in the day or whatever it is, sick to his stomach, that this temptation is bothering him. And it literally has him one knots because his only desire is to overcome it. Paul said in this passage, you have not yet resisted temptation to the point of shedding of blood. Thinking about Levi's desire to be pure despite anything that would come his way, when was the last time we battled something like that? When was the last time that we had our eyes fixed on the prize no matter what was upon us and we were going to go where we needed to go with God no matter what? When was the last time we got serious about the things in our life that are dragging us down and say, I'm not going another step until I have victory. We want to live our whole life like this and think that we'll be happy, think we'll be able to endure it. Paul says, cast it aside, get rid of it, lay it down. It's not the way a runner 
runs a race. Does it make any sense? But yet, so much of the time, we want to run 100 yards every day, just like that. Paul says, get rid of it. Lay it down. Second question for us this morning is, where are our eyes fixed? What are we focusing on? What are we listening to in our own heart and in our own mind? When you run a race, there's only one thing to be on our mind, the finish line. And Paul says to finish that race, fix your eyes on Jesus. Where are your eyes? Where's your attention? Where's your focus? You go so many places on so many people, on so many events, so many circumstances and unknowns and problems and issues and fears and doubts and worries. Paul says it's all to be about Jesus. This race of endurance that we are called to run is to be all about Jesus. What are you all about in your own life together? And third this morning is, are you willing to suffer for God? This is another sermon in itself, and I promise you I won't do that. There is suffering because of the junk that we do, and that's not what I'm talking about. This is a suffering that we are called to enter into as believers standing up for the gospel. Because the problem about the race that we're in is if, if, if we lay aside everything that drags us down and distracts us, and we really do it, and we focus all that we are on God, do you know what we're called? We're called crazy Christians. Because we're going to say things that no one else in the church is going to say. We're going to do things for God that no one in the church is going to do. We're going to go places and accomplish things and be used by God in ways that no one else in the church is going to be willing to be used by. And you go out into the world and it's not a whole lot easier. It might even be said of you what was said of the early Christians. They turned the world upside down because they were running the race that God had called them to run. My prayer for each of us this morning is that we realize we are in the race of our life. And there are things that God has told us to do and be about and think about and lay aside that matter so much to our happiness, to our joy, to the path that God has for us. And we can meander, just kind of run in this way and run in that way, or we can know where we're going and give it everything that we have. What about you? Do you want to give everything that you have? Amen? Amen. Everything that you have. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Lord, sometimes it feels like we're that player on the screen. It just feels like it's pulling us, it's dragging us, and we don't know if we're going to make it to the end. We thank you, Lord, this morning for the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, a reminder to us that there is a way for all of us to overcome whatever it is in our life that is besetting us, whatever temptation we face, whatever sin we've allowed ourselves to be ensnared by, whatever weights in this world of fear or bitterness or anger or worry that we've carried, it is the way forward is to lay it down, to let it go. Lord, I pray this, pray this morning for that one. They're they're trying to drag this through their whole life. And it's killing them. It's taking their joy. It's sapping their strength. It takes all they have just to hold it together. 
I pray, Lord, you'd give them the courage to cast it before you. Lord, there are so many distractions in our world today. So many voices calling out to us. So many religions, so many gods out there that the world is telling us we can believe in any or all of them. And Jesus says, I am the way. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we as believers would have laser vision focus on you. That nothing else in our life would matter but listening to the voice of God and following him and doing whatever it is that he asks us to do. Loving him like we love no one or nothing else. And Lord, it was the mark of the early church and it is the mark of most churches that find this kind of surrender that two things happen. The church is changed and suffering comes. And the church grows. And I pray, Lord, that for our lives, all that would matter is running this race focused on you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us enduring hearts and minds that focus on you. Lord, we want to please you no matter what it takes. And we just ask, Lord, we're, we're going out in it now. We're going to shake a few hands and give a few hugs and talk about a few things, and then we're going to get on our cars and we're back on the track. And I pray that we get back on the track free, focused, willing to do whatever it takes. And I'll thank you, Lord, that you alone give us that strength. In his name we praise you. Amen. Amen. Run hard.